Well, good morning, everybody. Um, that was uh, the preview of what I've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. I, uh, it's my pleasure to introduce to you. Let me give. Let me take this so we can get ourselves situated here. Um, Diana Ostrike. I've been totally mispronouncing her last name, but um, she she did had... it perfect. Everyone. Okay. <laughs> Well, it's like Gilliland, right? We marry into some names that aren't always the <laughs> easiest. But um, Diana is a war veteran. She was in Iraq, and we're going to um, ask her some questions about Preemptive Love Coalition, which is fits really well with our summer of love, right? How did uh, we get started <laughs> with Preemptive Love Coalition? Just yeah. a little bit of background real quick. Why, why are we all well, hanging out here together? This is... This is a cool story. So um, we set out as a small group redemptive community a couple of years ago to figure out what our cause would be. And right around the time, the refugee crisis exploded. And um, we started to get to know some local agencies. And we talked about this last night. It's really difficult to help refugees. And we'll talk a little bit about this in a minute. But... Then when everything kind of went a little bit crazy in the world and there's some you know, divisive thoughts on whether we should be helping refugees or not, I thought I started to talk to more people around this church and other people, and I found that there wasn't anyone that was really not wanting to help a refugee. Mm. I think everyone's heart were in the same place. Where it started to get kind of crazy is how. Really, how do we do this? And my group called Welcome the Stranger had a chunk of money, and um, we thought, this is ridiculous that this money is sitting in this place and not doing anything. So we did some research online, and Preemptive Love Coalition came up, and it has a great online footprint. I hope you guys looked them up. And um, what, they did, what they do is awesome, and we did some research into it. So we sent our money there because they're on the ground. Regardless of whether they're here, refugees are here, or in America or in Iraq, they need help. And so we decided to do it immediately, and we sent some money. And then Diana emailed me, and she didn't know what she was getting into, so the rest is... Right. Now we're best friends. So, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, Diana, let's get down to work here. So uh, what is the goal of Preemptive Love Coalition? So Preemptive Love Coalition, we are people who believe in going where no one else will go to love the ones no one else will love. And we believe that that comes out of our conviction that Christ hung on the cross for us while we are all yet still his enemies. He gave himself up for us in love. And so that, that's really our heartbeat. We want to unmake violence and remake the world um, by loving our enemies and showing up where people need help the most. And right now, today, refugees are some of the most vulnerable people on the planet. And we are on the ground at the headwaters of the crisis in Iraq and Syria. All right, so you're boots on the ground, right in the midst of it, mostly in what, somewhat of a dangerous situation? Yes, so our office is located in Iraq. That's the only place we have a printer, a copier. Um, That's where we are. And for most of the last three years, our families who live there have been three hours from ISIS. And they have little Mm -hmm. kids, and that's where they live. And so originally they had worked with doing heart surgeries for kids, which is a fallout of all the violence between America and Iraq and all the weapons left a lot of birth defects in soldiers and also in in the people in Iraqis. So they were having all these children being born with these heart holes in their heart, but with no medical system to save their life. 
And so in an effort to bring peace and to reconcile two communities at odds, we were doing heart surgeries. In comes ISIS, and now our neighbors are, um, they're just being brutalized. They're being pushed from their homes. Um, you heard Gose. ISIS just comes in and takes lives, kids, hmm. brothers. Um, and so they, they had to flee. And so now all of a sudden our neighbors have no food. Um, they're being just killed right and left, and they need help, and they need food and water mm-hmm. and a tent. And so we didn't know anything about that, but when your neighbor has a need, you show up. And so we started bringing in emergency food and water right where they were at. So you guys are dealing with relief and crisis as opposed to redevelopment or development of any sort? We're doing both. Thank you for bringing right. that up, Dan. That, I mean, the um, heart surgery is a long-term type thing. Yeah, the heart surgery is that we want to unmake violence and bring reconciliation between two people. And if you can trust your enemy... So originally we were having uh, Iraqi families bring their children to Israel for okay. surgery. And in that exchange... What, did you say Iraqi children to Israel? Yes. So we were asking... <laughs> hey, how's that working out? <laughs> we were so. asking these Iraqi families who have been told their whole life that Israelis were their enemy to trust their enemy with their child's life. Mm-hmm. And when that child came home from Israel, the scar on the chest was a testament that someone they had been told their whole life was their enemy actually worked to save their life instead of take it. And that's what we call preemptive love. It's a love that strikes first and reimagines a new story. Okay, so I'm going to ask you about you. Well, hold on. I want to answer okay. Dan's because yeah, that yeah, was yeah. such a yeah. good question. So, okay. so we're continuing to do heart surgeries. And I was in Iran last summer when, as you know, in America, the big question was the Iran deal. So at the same time when our two governments could not speak, we don't have an embassy there, um, I was there saying, your children matter. Your children matter so much that I will come here without the protection of a government um, diplomacy. (laughs) And I wasn't wearing a uniform, and I didn't have a weapon this time. And it was the scariest thing, but I also saw the kingdom of God come completely and wholly as as we chose to love each other. And these babies got a new story. Um, And what they know of Americans changed. And what I knew of Iranians um, was redeemed. And so when ISIS came, we came with emergency in Iraq and Syria. We came with emergency food and water. But we also knew that refugees needed a hand up, not a handout. Mm-hmm. That they knew. They had, I mean, these are doctors, lawyers, nurses, business people. I mean, And some, now they're refugees. Yes. Yeah. And so they needed emergency food and water just to survive. But what they needed more than anything was to reclaim their life from the ashes of war, that ISIS wouldn't have the last say over who they were. And when you're sitting in a camp and you have nothing to do and you can't feed your kids, despair creeps in. And so what we knew was that we just needed to listen and empower them to thrive right where they're at. So we started these empowerment grants with the help of people like you. So Gose, she's a refugee, and she's still sitting in... She's sitting in a shipping container with her eight kids, and yet, you heard it from her own mouth, she is buying her kids their her milk and diapers, and she's sending her kids to school, and they're thriving. Is that Even, coming from the soap? Yes, that okay. is coming directly from so the soap. So that's development. That's not crisis relief. Yeah. You're actually helping them yeah. how to thrive and how to actually make an income and a living. Yeah, so our bigger thing is empowerment, where we just say that wherever you are, whatever has happened to you, God has a fullness for you. And he has a dignity for your life. And we're just going to walk alongside of you. Mm. Um, so she learned soap making. 
And it's changed. It's changed her family's life. It's changed her community because now there's soap that she sells to her neighbors and they're decreasing disease. And refugee camps are tough places um, to battle disease, which kids and older ladies and men, they're just so susceptible to dying from disease. So um, they're obviously Muslim? They, uh, Gose is Yazidi. What's that? Um, so they are pariahs in Iraq because they are neither... Um, the Middle East and most countries are very diverse in religion. So you always have historically Christians, Muslims, Jews living alongside of each other. But the Yazidis are a little bit of a different branch where they believe, um, they just have a different belief system, but they don't have a written Bible. And so um, some Muslims believe that they are uh, heretics. And so they're pretty hated. So the three faiths that we call book people are Christians, Muslims, and Jews, because we all um, share some of the Bible together. But Yazidis don't. And so they're this tiny minority, and ISIS committed a genocide against them because they believe that the um, that they just were a disease on the earth. Right, right. Okay, so, but you still talk about God with them? Um, like everybody uses the God word? You guys might not know this, but everybody uses the God word all around the world. Whatever religion you are, yeah. we use our English term for God. Mm-hmm. Muslim, you know, Arabic term for God is Allah. Native American term for God. Like, we all say the word God, and so there's no division. Uh-huh. When we show up and say, Jose, what do you need? And we give that cup of water, and we rock our kids. And just this past year, um, she welcomed a new baby into her family. And we got to celebrate with her. So as we're, we're being present and restoring um, life with her, I feel like the gospel is expressed completely. Like, it is a real thing. And mm-hmm. some people, you know, they're like, well, do you hand out gospel tracts? And we're like, well, these are traumatic survivors of ISIS. <laughs> you know, like, they just need to... They need to heal, and we say, well, a lot of people will hand out, mm-hmm. you know, the Bible, but we show up and be the Bible. I saw online the other day that um, Jeremy Courtney, who was the founder of Preemptive Love Coalition, was showing a box. Did you see that one? Yeah. And he was saying, this is a cardboard box that someone is about to boil to cook as food for these refugees. Yeah. So um, in Mosul, ISIS has... Um, they, they have taken over Mosul about three years ago and said it was kind of their capital. And so this is the last stand for ISIS is Mosul. And so the brutality um, of what they've been doing in Mosul as the Iraqi army has been trying to free it has been horrific. And they've used starvation as a weapon of war. And so not only is a father boiling a box to feed his kids today in Mosul, he paid for that box. Like, paid. people are paying for, for these boxes box. to feed their kids. Think about my Amazon boxes Amazing. that I get. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about a track that someone might be giving someone else or a piece of paper and what they might actually consider that yeah. to be. So grass <laughs> and boxes in Mosul are a sought-after, paid-for commodity mm-hmm. to fight against starvation for their kids. But just this past month, because people like yourself showed up and said, I want to help right where they're at, we fed over 1,000 a thousand people in, in Mosul, and we brought clean water because ISIS blew up their water tanks. Mm-hmm. And right now it's around 100 degrees in Mosul, and water isn't, isn't just something you like to drink. It's survival. Mm-hmm. And so we put in new water pipes, and communities have survived ISIS, but now they're going to thrive. And that is what, that, that's our hope. That's empowerment. That's the more beautiful world that God is renewing and putting together. <clears throat> and that's really where we want to join him. 
I, I want you to tell your story. How did yeah. you get? How did you um, get? Because this is an army vet that was in Iraq and in service there. So, yeah, how did you get into this thing? <laughs> Short story, long story, um, but I feel like the best stories always start with our are breaking apart. And I flew into Iraq at 23 years old as a combat medic right when the Iraq war was starting. We were seeing bombs on TV, but we hadn't declared war. So I was part of a preemptive strike. And <clears throat> shortly, <clears throat> excuse me, shortly before we got there, um, we were con, well, we had gotten in the country and we were convoying to Baghdad the next day. And the sergeant was giving us our marching orders for the next day, and he had told us how it was an enemy tactic to push little children in front of the convoys in order to stop the convoys so it would be vulnerable to attack. And so he said, I want you all to know that if you break to avoid harming a child tomorrow, you will be responsible for your fellow soldier getting attacked in the rear. I hope you understand what your duty is. And so... That, that was this moment where everything that I'd grown up believing, um, and that was right and true, and I believed in sacrifice, I had signed up for the uniform, I was here for my country. Um, I went back to my tent, and, and the little small voice of God that he'd always talked to me since I was a little girl just wouldn't be quiet. And so all night, I just was like, God, I have to. I have to take a life to save a life. And his voice just kept saying, but I love them, Diana. But I love them, too. And so I couldn't, I'd never really had God ask me for something that was against what I, what my country had asked me, what my community had asked me. But I knew the voice of God, and I knew that I had to say yes. And so I put down my weapon, longest night of my life, and I knew that God was asking me, to give my life, but never to take a life. And so that's kind of the beginning of the war on making a lot of what I knew, a lot of what I thought I believed, a lot of what I, I thought was righteous, and it just didn't add up anymore. And it was this place where I didn't know at the time, but he was asking me to choose to love first. He was asking me to put, put someone else's life ahead of my own. And in all my in all my church days, I had never heard anybody say they were literally going to love their enemy. And I did not think God would ask me to do that in the middle of a war. But he did. And, it was, and it's my story. It's not, it's not anyone else's story. Um, it's not preemptive love stance. This is just what God asked of me. And it was the freest thing that's ever happened. And so when I came back from the war, I was just a mess. I didn't know what to do. Um, and I knew it wasn't just about how to reconcile my war experience, but it was going to be about how I wanted to live out the rest of my life. And so when I bumped into preemptive love, they had words to this. They said they were going to take, they were going to live out this posture of putting someone else above them, above, above our own fear and above our own security. They were going to leap first in love. And that, we th and that they thought that this was how God was going to remake the world. We're going to have new stories. Um, if we chose ahead of time to trust someone who didn't already trust us, to love someone who may not have our best interests in mind. And so it all came together, and that's how I connected with preemptive love. And that, that story that I kept hearing Jesus say about, like, if you really want to find your life, you might have to give it away to really live. Um, I, 
I felt that. Mm. I felt like I was living that. I had laid down something in the war, but I had come alive to something that, that I knew this is how I want to teach my kids. This is how I want to live out the rest of my life. This is the fullest expression I know of the cross because that was the greatest act of preemptive love of all time, that while we were yet, yet his enemies, he gave himself up for us in love. And so that's how I connected with preemptive love and knew, like, this, this is how I want to live out the rest of my life. Well, that's a more powerful story than most all of the rest of America ever has to deal with, you know. I mean, that's incredible stuff right there. All the rest of us just think about that in theory, but you actually had to go there and Changes night. things. Yeah, and do the whole thing. So it sounds like it all turned out well between you and your unit and the whole rest of the whole thing, of course. Yeah. So that's all good. Um, so thank you for the story. I, I, uh, can you tell us a little bit more, getting back to refugees, yes. can you tell us a little bit more about the situation, uh, not just what preemptive love is doing, which we'll get to that, but tell us a little bit more about what the refu- refugee situation is. What do they, what do they want? Uh, and what I'm really talking about here is what we were discussing, is that, you know, refugees coming to America and all this sort of thing, like, that doesn't really sound like that's the goal, Right. Yeah. So what is the goal? So we, since we live there <laughs> and, we, and we have our ear to the ground, what we continue to hear from refugees is that they want to go home, that they might be living in a tent and they might be living in a shipping container, but they, they don't want to come to Europe and they definitely don't want to come to the U.S. <laughs> it's not a really friendly place for them right now. Like their heartbeat is really their ancestral land. Like, their dream for their children is that their children will go to their family church, their family school. They want to go back to home. Their neighborhoods. And so the average time that it takes for a refugee to end up going home is around 17 to 18 years. And so if you're you're a parent, you know, that's that's your child's childhood. That's, That's their chance. And so that time is so critical for, um, for families just being healed for kids going to school. And so what we continue to hear is that refugees don't want to leave. They want to go home. But that gap of 17 or 18 years, yeah. like, they need to work. <laughs> they need to create a life, even if it's away from home. And so, so that's what we continue to hear when we sat with people. Um, and so we asked them, what, what would that look like for you? And for, for one family, it was sheep. Before ISIS, they were sheep herders. That was their family identity. That was their skill. And so we said, well, let's get you some sheep. And now when we go visit in the camp, there's not that despair because kids see their parents. They, they see them having doing the thing that they love. And people, people need dignity. And, oh, yeah. and, and they don't want dependence. Like, these are, these are some of the bravest men on the planet who have faced mm-hmm. ISIS. They're not running away from their kids um, they want to. They want to be. They want to be people that their kids can look up to. And so sheep. So you go out there, and they are like sheep has revitalized this family. It's food, and it's a, it's an economy for them, and it's something that their kids can can be part of, and a security. And so that's that's what refugees we continue to hear is that they want to stay where they're at because their eyes to go home. So they don't want to go any farther than where they're at. Whether they were refugees in Syria who got pushed into Iraq, they want to go home to Syria. And Iraqis, they want to stay in Iraq. And so, so the whole question of, like, what should we do with refugees and the fear that comes with that or the cultural things, like, mm-hmm. what if we don't even have to answer that question? 
What if we just say we're going to empower people and help them to thrive where they're at, right in Iraq and right in Syria? And so that's what we continue to hear from refugees. And so they're where we take our cue because they know better than anybody what they need to really thrive. So when uh, faith communities, churches like us, when we get involved and we donate money, then what are we doing? Are we buying sheep or soap making supplies or what's Dan, going you're on? doing it all. <laughs> well, I, I mean, mean, you can. You're you, doing it all. We're, just, can, we're just, just giving yeah. money. But I mean, what what's uh, on the dignity side of thing, which is is absolutely, you know, what we all know is the right thing to be doing because providing jobs is what actually raises up a society. Here and there. That's what people want in America. Right. That's what people want there. Right, no doubt. So uh, this is sort of like what, starter funds? Yeah, so we call them empowerment projects, but what they are is they're a business grant. So we're never going to ask people to pay back the money. And what we do is we come out and sometimes... Um, we sit with them for months and months until they can really figure out what it is that they can do. Um, we don't want to come in with answers. And so when they find out what they want to do, we create a business plan with them. And so for the soap makers, it was a lot of teaching. I mean, it really is a process. <laughs> and so, so Teach them how to make soap? Teach them how to make soap. Teach them how to sell soap. Teach them how to kind of do the, do the continual business side. So we stay with them. And just coach them through it. And, and um, last year, we, so we bought chickens. There was one group in the camp who said, we know chickens. We want chickens. Um, so we brought them chickens, and, you know, they built these little houses. The chickens were the prize thing. The kids kind of loved them as pets. There was just this vitality. And then there was sickness. There was some sort of chicken sickness. Uh-oh. And the government... There were, I guess there was medicine, but the government wasn't giving it out or wouldn't allow them to buy it. And so part of what, what our monthly sponsors, we call them, like you stay with people. And so in that month, we said, you know, we'll, we'll get you the medicine for your chickens because they had worked so hard and this is their future. And to see it wiped out because they just didn't have $10 for the medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, this is kind of what it continues is that it's a friendship Mm-hmm. And it's a commitment to the livelihood of the other. And okay. so we can do, I mean, people are doing soap. Some people are doing sheep. Some people are doing chickens. Um, there's quite a few men who are carpenters. And they also work with air conditioning. It's hmm. a thing over there. But when they fled ISIS, they lost their tools. And so a mechanic without his tools, all the skill. Mm-hmm. And, and tools for a mechanic is around $1,000. Like, as most people know, your tools are your trade. And right. so some of our empowerment grants are, well, you know, we're going to get you. We're going to get you your tools so you can get out there and continue um, to use your skill for your family. So, also, you mentioned education. So what are the kids doing in this eighteen-year process while they're waiting in a refugee camp? To come um, home? There are schools in refugee camps, and recently there's a group of Iraqi Christians in the Nineveh Plain that they um, their village got liberated from ISIS, and so they're, we're helping them come back and resettle in their village, but the one thing they said was, there's no school for our kids, and, and we, we cannot come back and rebuild our village if our kids aren't in school. Mm-hmm. And so we said, well, what do you need? And so what we ended up, donors ended up doing, is buying a bus so that they are moving back to their village and rebuilding, but they have a bus to send their kids to the neighboring village 30 minutes away and tell Scoof so they can continue to go to school. All right. And so we're empowering people to rebuild by giving them what they really need, which for most people is education. They will not leave a refugee camp that has education 
to go back home if they don't know their kids have a school. Okay. Yeah, I think we talked, I, at Children of War, if they leave school, if they leave school for a year, they're more likely to never, ever return. Yeah, if, if a kid misses out for a year, um, the likelihood of them ever going back is, I think it's, you know, less than 25%. And that leaves kids vulnerable. It leaves girls vulnerable to early marriages, and it leaves boys vulnerable to other people's agendas. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, school is the safest place, and these parents are committed to their kids being in school. Yeah. So this hits home for me because my mom was a child in World War II, <coughs> and she's Japanese, and she left in sixth grade to go work in a, a factory, a war factory, and never went back. So it's historic. We're talking about the, his, the history of our cultures and how we view different things and how well Japan is doing today, uh-huh. and uh, mainly because we went in to help after World War II. Right, right. So. All right, well, um, we want to wrap up this little part of it. This has been the message, everyone. This is the <laughs> teaching part. It, I don't think it gets more <laughs> applicable, you know. But, um, and uh, the... Scripture is, Doug, um, you have the Matthew 25 scripture up there. I want to make sure you guys have, uh, remember the reference on this, Matthew 25. <clears throat> on the side screen uh, says this, it says, When the Son of Man, this is Jesus talking, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory, and all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate people from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. And then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. And I was naked, and you gave me clothing. And I was sick, and you took care of me, for I was in prison, and you visited me. And uh, I think it was early on around Lakeland when, uh, I think it was Garrett, it was long before Garrett went to seminary and so forth, and I think we were sitting around talking, uh, like, hey, what are the toughest passages in the Bible, you know? And uh, we were like, this is one. This is one right here. Like, where's the cross? Where's the atonement? Where's the blood of Jesus? You know, where's the salvation, where's the grace, where's the reconciliation, all that sort of stuff. And it's like, it's not there. I mean, you know, not that it's not in the Bible, of course, and all there, but it's like, this passage is real blunt. It's like, because if you go on to read it, it says, if you do these things, then it's good. You're, you, you go into the king's favor. If not, you go to hell, <laughs> you know? And it's like, I, I don't know how to mince this one up. You know what I mean? I don't know how to make excuses for that. I don't know how to, you know, collapse it into Romans and Galatians. I mean, I could do it if I really wanted to strive, but I think it'd be rather inauthentic. Like, this is a tough passage. It's like, this is what the gospel looks like. This is the kingdom here on earth, is I think what Jesus is trying to tell us to do. This is where we find our traction. This sort of thing. So things like what Diana's doing and other Christians and churches like us, where we come in and support them and stuff, this is way beyond politics. This is way beyond the shrill liberal voice, you know, that says, you know, I can't believe the state of the world and the state of the country. This is well beyond the conservative voice that's sitting around saying, like, I'm so sick and tired of hearing about the liberal voice. You you know what I mean? This is Jesus's voice right here. It cuts through it all. It started the whole thing and everything else, you know, am I getting on a rant here a little bit? I am. So let me stop you you here. Um, 
the, the thing that we talked about, can I just stop you? Yeah, go I'm for sorry. It. You better. The, um, the thing that we talked about last night about the, the great, the, you know, the things that we tend to focus on. And when we were talking about the military, my dad was a military career guy and how um, divisive it can be. But yet everyone has the same end goal mm-hmm. to bring peace. That's right. That's what everyone is trying to do. And so when we focus on the, the gospel of peace and the gospel of grace, then it doesn't get all that complicated. Um, yeah. But anyway. Yeah, I, I think it's always a, you know, uh, I went to seminary and probably, you know, a whole bunch of money and, and like, here's one for you. You can save yourself a bunch of bucks. But one of the questions to ask, you write it in the front of your Bible, would be like, what, what's being protected? What's being protected? In the Old Testament, What's being protected? What's Jonah protecting? What's Moses protecting? What's Jesus protecting? All over. You know, when you sign up for the military, what are you trying to protect? What are you trying to accomplish? When you sign up as a Christian, you join this church, what's being protected? What are you after? You know what I mean? What's the end game? What's the goal? That's the $10,000 question right there. What's being protected, right? You answer that question when you're in a conversation with somebody, especially these days in the political environment. What are you trying to protect? You know, as opposed to escalation. Just ask, what, do you want, what are you trying to protect? And you'll find out that actually we all agree. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, there's only a very few people who would disagree. With like, I want peace on earth. You know, like, all right, well, cool. Let's all get to work, not do something too stupid. You know, and the we'll get the job the, done. the church has the yeah. specific goal to, yeah. um, to do that. To and just on the side, I always kind of go off the side and say, you know, well, Jesus started the whole thing. So, but other than that... Uh, <laughs> You know, it's good. All right, well, okay. let us stand and let us pray, and we are going to move into communion and worship. We're going to end the morning by going to God, glorifying God together as a community, and we're going to start with the, uh, the cup and the loaf. So if the servers want to come forward, that'd be good. But let us pray, uh, and pray specifically for uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as those that we don't know. Hey, And let us pray also for our enemies. Lord, we come before you as people who are oftentimes swayed and pulled by so many voices. And yet, Lord, there is but one voice we need to understand and hear above all the din. That is the voice of Jesus. So, Lord, may it be clear to us. May we immerse ourselves in the purity and the truth of the Scriptures as our first voice as the voice that tells us what is true, what we should do. So God, we give you thanks for other Christians like Preemptive Love Coalition and all the other organizations out there, including this church, that are involved with loving our neighbor, that are treating our neighbor as ourself. May we be that voice of peace. May we agree to move ahead. May we not grow weary of doing good. May we put our hand to the plow, no turning back, one foot in front of the other, and march toward the kingdom of God during our one lifetime. In the name of Jesus, we come under this banner, and we all said, Amen. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he handed it to his disciples and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this, all of you. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, which he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood, which is spilt for you. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you celebrate what I have come to do. You bring about the kingdom. You remember me. You bring me into your presence. 
This is what we do. So when you come forward once again and you tear off a piece of the bread and you dip in the chalice and you consume it there and return to your seat in prayer, what you're making is a statement that says, I belong to Jesus and the Jesus agenda. This supersedes everything else. This is why I'm a Christian. May we be reminded once again. Come forward whenever you're ready. Tear off the piece of bread, dip it in the chalice, eat it, and return to your seat. So, Lord, we are forgiven. We are also charged with uh, your kingdom here on earth. May we do everything during this lifetime to make that come true so we can hear those words from you someday. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And we all said, amen. Well, let's all stand in that way. We'll do the blessing. Does that sound good? Sounds good. So, yeah. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for my mentor, and we thank you for our pastor. Lord, who reflects in the way he leads us the leadership of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that Dan, like your son, has led us as a church into the places we would never have gone by ourselves. Sometimes in the places we didn't want to go. But once we arrived, we were absolutely sure that we were in the right place. We thank you for him and how your spirit has spoken that, that directive to him. And that he blessed us with it. Pray, Lord, you remember... Dan and his family, uh, may they be blessed with many years and much love. We pray for Dan's sabbatical. May he hear your voice and return to us to share the wonders once again of what you have shown to him. And we give you thanks for giving us a shepherd who has shepherded us so well. It is in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, would you do a benediction? Let's do that. Hands open, everyone. God's going to rain down on you. Join me. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace, everyone.